Good morning. How are you today? It's a good day, isn't it? It's a great, great day. Listen, we've been in this series called Family Matters because you guys are doing so great. You've caught on. Um, listen, do not, all that video stuff that you saw up front, do not believe that in reference to interns, okay? So uh, uh, we are blessed to have four interns with us this summer, um, and we are blessed, and they are going to be working hard this summer in a lot of different venues doing stuff, but we're blessed to be able to provide that opportunity, and uh, it's going to be a great summer. Uh, camp's coming up just for, for kids in just a couple of weeks, and then next month is youth camp, and then following that, it'll be camp for music, for worship camp, so we've got a summer full of activities, and uh, Anyway, you know, the older we get, it's easy for us to look in the rearview mirror with regrets. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Nathan, you ever been there? You look back and you think, and uh, it's just easy to do that. It's really easy to look by all the things you should have done, maybe the things that you, you shouldn't have done. And with that being said, we want to discuss something today that has the ability to really cause an awful lot of problems inside of the marriage and family relationship. You know, if you talk to counselors, there's two things that are sort of at the top of the list when it comes to, you know, two issues that, that couples or families deal with specifically. Does anybody know what those two things are? Money. Money. And what's the other one? Sex. <laughs> sex. <clears throat> Guess what we're going to talk about today? Yeah. <laughs> you hope that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> this is about the time people start making their way out. I got to go to the bathroom, honey. I'll be back in just a little bit, okay? <laughs> then they never show back up. What happened to you? Well, I just got, I got sidetracked, and so I stayed outside. We are going to talk about the issue of uh, money today, and so you don't have to be worried. But that causes a lot of stress, doesn't it? I mean, lots and lots of stress. I mean, how many couples wrestle or families wrestle over the issue of finances? Let me just give you a couple of fun facts. I, I've not done the research on this. I've just taken this off some people that I've trust. Uh, so if they're wrong, I'm just sorry. But I, I've seen these in multiple places. And I think they're pretty interesting, especially when it deals with Jesus and money. Listen to some of these facts that, that they say. Out of the parables that we have, some 35 to 40 parables that we find inside of the Gospels, they'll say that somewhere around half or a little bit more than half of those parables that Jesus would have told, the stories that he told to make specific points, they dealt with money and possessions. Isn't that something else? Out of all the parables that Jesus told that more than half deal with the issue of, of, of money and possessions. In reference to the Gospels, when you think about the Gospels and the amount of passages of scripture there are and inside of the gospels they say that one out of the 10 verses that we find inside of the gospels deal directly with the subject of money and then the last one jesus had more to say about finances than he did um, finances and possessions more than he did about faith and prayer and i wonder why in the world does the bible why would god's word talk so much why would jesus himself talk so much about the issue of finances just because he thought it was important because I'll tell you what, Jesus knew, Ryan, and this is important to learn now as a teenager, there's a connection between, um, between our, our heart and our wallet. Believe it or not, there's a huge connection. 
Um, I mean, because how many times do we say, I trust Jesus? I mean, we really do. I trust Jesus. How about you? But, you know, the reason you trust Jesus is you got an extra dollar bill in your back pocket. But what about the times that you're struggling? What about the times that you're wrestling? What about the times that the bills aren't paid and, uh, you know, the creditors are calling and things are, are past due? Well, Jesus didn't just mince words about, you know, about the issue of finances, but he dealt with them head on. And I want you to turn to the book of Matthew today, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to go back a little bit later and look in the, in the Old Testament to a passage of Scripture that we find in First Chronicles, and so you might want to turn there. Um, but let me just say this. Um, the issue of finances can be so stressful. And so, I, I mean, I want to I take, just take a lot of that pressure off of you today, and I just want you to just listen and let's participate in a conversation because this is what I know. When you talk about family matters, there's an issue that is really important, and it's the issue of finances. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to throw guilt on you. I'm not, that's not what I'm doing. The only thing, we're going to be making a couple of points today that I think are really important, and I just want you to listen. And if you find yourself... Some of you may be really struggling right now, and you're thinking, okay, um, this is really, this makes me nervous. This makes me, I'm unnerved. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little uncomfortable right now because I'm struggling with that issue. Man, listen, take that guilt off of you. I don't want you to think about where you are, but as we read the Word today, I want you to think about where you can be, okay? So if that's an issue that you're wrestling with today, I just don't want to throw some stuff on you. I, I want us to to maybe come at it of where, maybe where God wants us to be at and the peace that he wants us to have, yet so many times, so many times that peace is robbed because we don't view finances or resources the way that God intended us to. So before I read this passage of scripture, can I just pray for us? Would that, would that be okay? Can we just do that together? Father, as we, uh, as we spend some time in the word today, what I'm just asking is that the Holy Spirit be the one that opens our eyes and our hearts to the reading of what your word has to say, not me. We're going to laugh today. We'll have some fun. But in the midst of this, there's some really serious things that are important, especially when we talk about family matters. God, I pray that uh, we would hear your voice and we would be responsive today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and let's just read what Jesus had to say as he was speaking. And he says this, but no one can serve, it's a great word to underline there, serve two masters. You know, it's obvious in a kingdom there's only one throne. Who is it the one that sits on the throne of your life? And he goes on to say, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. And he clarifies what he's talking about when he says there you cannot, there's that word again, serve, serve God and be enslaved or in bondage to money. You know, when it comes to the one that you trust, the one that you're submitted to, it, it can't be, uh, it has to be one or the other. It can't be, it can't be both. It's important to recognize that. And what God desires for us is He desires to have our undivided attention. He wants to be number what? He wants to be number one. He didn't want to be number two. Because He knows, and listen, this is important, God knows that our stuff has the ability or way to become a distraction to us. I was just having a conversation a while ago with a teenager that came to me after the first service. 
And it, it was really, it's a sweet conversation. He said, Pastor Sid, he said, I, I'm a little distracted in my life. He said, I feel like I wrestle between my, my, my commitment to God and, and my, my distraction of my stuff. I thought that's, that's, a, that's a big statement to make. I mean, how many of us as adults struggle with that, yet we fail to, we fail to, to really recognize it? We struggle with it, but we, do, we fail to recognize it. You know, when you start talking about uh, finances, they say that there's really two extremes. If you were sitting at a Dave Ramsey conference, he would tell you there's the spender and the saver or the nerd, the nerd and the free spirit. I don't know what you are, but I know which one sounds the most spiritual, Jim. You know what it is? It's, you know, the, the, the nerd, that sounds more spiritual, right? The guy who's going to save, the person that's going to set aside some resources because you know that there's going to be a flat tire, there's going to be a, a difficulty at some point in time. And when we think about a spender and a saver, a nerd and a free spirit, we say, well, oh, you know, the one that saves, that looks like to be the, the one that is the most spiritual, the most godly. I mean, I mean, how many husbands do we have that wife is the spender and you fuss at her and you complain because she spends $300 a, a week on groceries and you're like going, how in the world can you spend that much money on groceries? Do not, do not look at your spouse and say that. And yet as a husband, I mean, you, have, you don't even blink, buddy, when it comes down to making that boat payment, you know, those season tickets or that lease for the hunting, the hunting you know what I'm saying? I just caused some problems in this place, didn't I? Mm, I had to go there. You know, it's, it's funny. It's fun sometimes to throw a bomb and run. And uh, you just throw, throw something and cause a problem and turn around and, and run. But the experts say that in the marriage relationship, um, not always, but more than likely, one is going to be one and the other is going to be, you know, one to be a spender, one to be a saver. You know, you can be in an awful lot of problem if you've got two spenders in the house. But a lot of times we find in marriages, there's usually one and usually other, and there's tension. There's tension that, that happens. But let me just say this right here. Both, whether it be a spender or whether it's a saver or a nerd or a free spirit, both can lead to disaster when the motivation is, write this down, greed. Greed, G-R-E-E-D, greed, greed. If you were to define the word greed in the dictionary, you might find this. It's the intense selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. I don't know where that come up from, but it, that's what it says. I didn't say that. <laughs> Jesus wasn't silent on the issue of greed either, but he knew that, he knew that, the, that the dangers and consequences that come as a result of it. I mean, he knew that if it were left unchecked and free to run, it would cause an awful lot of problems. And if you were to define greed as based on what we find in the scripture from what Jesus had to talk, it might be something like this. Greed is the belief that it, whatever it may be, it could be a lot of things, it is for me and it's mine. That it isn't about how much we have, I have, you have, as it is or we don't have, but greed is the attitude that says, listen, whatever I have, whatever's, whatever I've been blessed with, it's, it's, uh, it's mine. It's mine. It's not yours, but it's, it's mine. And I can spend it or I can save it. I can do whatever I want to do with it. But the problem is when we live that way, we often act like the pagans or the non-believers. The ones who say that there is no God. The one that says that they don't, Believe that—that that is until there's a crisis. 
I mean, how many of us put God on the sidelines? We put him, we put him on the bench of the, of the ball game and, and we only say, okay, you come in now, you know? We, we want you to come off the bench now and, and, and it's your turn, you can come now. But God doesn't want to be a backup plan, does he? I mean, he wants to be number one in our lives, yet how many times do we treat him like a backup plan? See, the core of greed really isn't about our finances. The core... The center of greed is really about our heart and what competes for our heart. It's not a new conversation because we've had this conversation before. But what do I do if greed is something that I'm wrestling with? What do I do if greed is something that I struggle with? I mean, how do I break the power of greed? I'm going to give you three things and we're going to sort of end, talk around a little bit. We're going to focus more on the giving than we do anything else. But I want to give you three things, and we've said this before, talk about percentage, percentage living. Um, three words, give, save, and live. Just write those down. Give, save, and live. That I'm going to take whatever it is that comes to me, and I'm going to take a portion of that, and I'm going to give first. I'm going to take a portion, and I'm going to save something in case there is a difficult time. And then I'm going to live off of what's left. Whether it's 10, 10, and 80, whether it's 15, 15, and 70, whatever it may be. You know, we always want to talk about a tenth, a tithe, but let me tell you what. In the New Testament, if I read it right, the Bible says that everything is the Lord's, not partially. Yet how many times as believers do we want to mark that 10% and we want to give it to God, but the others say, God, it's mine. It's not yours, but it's mine. And I want to do with it whatever I want to do with it. So you just leave it alone. But greed isn't about the dollar bills. It's about a heart. But this give, save, and live is about as simple as it gets. That I take my paycheck and I divide it down, give, save, and live before I do anything else. But the first thing I want to do is make sure before I do anything is recognize where it all comes from. Look at a passage of Scripture with me in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And let's just, let's go there, 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10, talking about giving and talking about everything belonging to the Lord. Let me just... I want to read something to you. So let me give you a picture of what's happening here. Because in this prayer that we're going to see, we're going to get a little bit of a glimpse today of how, um, how David viewed wealth, the wealth that he had accumulated as a king because he had accumulated an awful lot of wealth. And what he has to say will parallel what Jesus would say that we find here in the book of Matthew a thousand years later. And, and as we read this, we're going to get a, a clear picture of, of what should drive how we manage and how we handle our finances. So you, you can imagine, here's David in a place in his life. Uh, his enemies have been defeated. Um, the battles have been won. Israel is at peace. And they are, Israel is now the envy of the surrounding nation. And David has this, this thought, he gets this thought from the Lord that it's time to build God a temple. Not because God needs a place to reside. We know that he doesn't reside in a temple. But what he was going to do, he felt like God had impressed upon him to build a place that the articles, the Ark of the Covenant and some other articles could be stored. It would be a place of focus. And so here he believes that God has placed this on his heart and um, he would be the one to build that. But the problem was when God came back to him and said, you're not going to be the one to build it. Well, David didn't whine, he didn't complain, he didn't bellyache, but he didn't say, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair. But, but he begins to set some things in, in motion. 
And, and God had promised him that he would have a son and it would be a son that he would pass this on to and his name would be Solomon and Solomon would be the one that would go ahead and eventually build this temple. But David didn't sit around and he didn't twiddle his thumbs, but he got busy. He got busy planning, he got busy preparing, he got busy raising money to help build that and the scripture says that David gave of his own wealth and then he made an announcement to all the families and he brought them together and told them what was happening and what was taking place. And he told them that they would be the ones that would, confund, that would fund the construction of this house for God. And that they were going to start it, but that many of, them, many of them would pass and die before they would ever see it come to fruition. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a part of something knowing that you may never ever see it finalized or put in place? That's hard, isn't it? Wow. And the Bible says that people came from all over and they, they, would, they gave of their resources. And it said they gave what they had wholeheartedly. In other words, with, their all, with all of their hearts. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the outpouring of the resources that were coming in, David offers a prayer. And that's the prayer that we're going to read here. That's a prayer that David prayed. And, and let's read and see what David had to say in 1 Chronicles 29 Verse 10 and following. This is what he says. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, those that had gathered there. And he said, O Lord, the God of our ancestor, our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. And he goes on to say, and he summarizes some things. Listen to what he says. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Wow. Yours, O Lord, the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. In other words, what he was saying, God, all this stuff is all about you. It's not about me, but it's about you. And then he uses that word that we, we talked a little about last week. He uses that word, and that word is everything. He didn't say some, most, many, few, but he says everything, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. Whose is it? It's his. Everything is his. Now, I don't know how you view the resources that God has blessed you, whether how little or how much they be. But here, what does he say? Everything is yours, Lord. Everything. It's all yours. And he says, everything is yours to begin with, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. And we adore you as the one who is over all. All, everything, all, all things. David says, listen, even though I'm the one that sits on the throne, you are the real king. You are the one that's large and in charge. You are the one that's over the heavens and all of the earth. And then he says in verse 12, wealth, honor, it comes from you and you alone. You rule over everything. And then he goes on to say, power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Wow. Anything that has been accomplished, anything in life, God, it's because of you. You are the one that gives the strength. You are the one that gives the power. You are one that gives the ability to do it. And I can imagine the people going, but David, aren't you king? Aren't you the one that's large in charge? But you're saying that God... If God, if God is in charge, that, that he's the one that puts you in charge, and David would say, yep, 
Even though I may be large in charge here, he's over it all. Over it all, every bit of it. I mean, how many of us have worked hard? I mean, we've put in the extra hours. We've done the study. We've, I mean, we've broken it all down. But the bottom and the foundation of it is this, is this, guys. Listen, my success, anything that I have, it's all because of you, Lord. And here's a driving force that I think it's really important to remember. We must honor God with everything. We must honor God with everything, not partial, but everything. It's the attitude that says this, I understand, but I really understand. I mean, I understand this over here, but I understand that God, it's everything I have is, is from you. Because I don't want to be owned by my stuff. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I recognize up front where everything comes from so that I can have a clear perspective of who's large and in charge. And so up first and foremost, I want to give first. I want to give first and foremost. I mean, so many times we talk about finances, especially when it comes to the church. You guys know this. You hear this all the time. I don't really want to go to church. A bunch of hypocrites. I mean, we can go. The only thing I ever talk about is money. Well, I'm going to tell you what. I want to get bolder and bolder, bolder in talking about money because money's a huge issue. Not because God needs your money, because, but because you need God. And if you want to find out who's in control of your life and who sits on the throne of your life, all you got to do is find out where your expenditures go. This isn't so much about God needing something from you as much as him wanting something for you, for me. And when you think about giving first, you might think, well, that just doesn't make any sense because what happens if we happen to go through a pandemic one day, right? What happens if I happen to lose my job? What happens if I get to the place that I can't pay my bills? Well, what giving says is that it demonstrates a few things. Number one, we believe that God is the owner of everything. You want to talk about what giving, giving first demonstrates? Man, God, I believe that you're large and in charge. And a habit of giving is a recognition, a reminder that God has first blessed us and he has given to us first. Also, it's an action step. It's a demonstration of faithfulness. I mean, how many times do we hear people say something, yet there's no action behind their belief? What giving first says is, I, man, I believe God is first and foremost. And it's also a faithful step. It's an action step that, that puts, some, puts some feet to what I say I believe. I mean, we claim that we, oh, I'm a Jesus follower. Are you really? Are you really? And the third thing is I will not be mastered. Giving first demonstrates I will not be mastered by the possessions or the things that I accumulate or I have. Now, there's some other reasons that people give there's that, that they're wrong motives. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen these or maybe you've practiced these or maybe you know somebody. I mean, the wrong motives like pride. I mean, look at me. Look at, look at me. You know, I want everybody to know. You know, it's funny. You can usually tell the person that has the gift of giving. You know, the person that has the gift of giving, the spiritual gift of giving, doesn't always want to be recognized. But you know what they do want to know? They do want to know if their money's making a difference. That's the way it is. The person with the true gift of giving doesn't really care about anybody knowing who's giving. They just want to make sure that the resources that they are giving, that they're being used wisely and that they're being steward, stewarded correctly. There's also the wrong motive of guilt, greed, I mean, 
listen, I'm just going to tell you guys, if you tell, if you hear somebody say somewhere in time, standing in a pulpit or you hear on a radio or you see on TV, somebody saying, listen, you need to give more so you can get more. That's a life in the pits of hell. That prosperity stuff, it just, it's not right. It's not of God. Or maybe it's pressure. I mean, there's people that give because somebody twists their arm. They're always, man, it's just like, ugh, you know. They, don't, they give out of compulsion, not because of, out of a cheerful heart, but somebody's, somebody's twisting their arm or power. I mean, how many people use the resources that God has blessed them with to control or manipulate others? I mean, that, that would never happen, though, would it? Never happen. But the reason to give isn't, isn't because of one of these issues, these wrong, but the reason we want to give is because we want to honor God and we want to recognize that everything that we have is from Him. That's why we want to give first. Giving says, I believe God, everything comes from you and you are the owner of everything. And I just want to take and I want to give to you the first fruits of what I have because God, I want, I want to make sure that you are in first place in my life. I mean, can I ask you a question? Now you say, okay, Sid, we're supposed to be in this series, Family Matters. Well, what in the world does this really have to do with Family Matters? Can I ask you a question? What are you passing down to your kids? What kind of a legacy are you leaving for your children? What are you teaching or modeling for them as it, as it has to do with giving and saving and living? How many families are living far, far beyond where they should be? And as a result, there's stress and there's unsettledness and there's lack of peace because you don't know. Now, I'm not, listen, may I not step on toes, but may I step on toes? It's a big deal. It's a very, very big deal. Because let me tell you, one of the main things as parents, why we want to be able to practice this, we want to share this, we, man, I mean, we want to talk about it, we want to model it, is because as a parent, just as, as your stuff is, a, is, is, a, is the main competition for your heart, guess what the main competition for the heart of your children are? Is their stuff. Wherever, what little or much it may be, and one of the ways that you put a lid and you handle and you deal with the issue of greed is by giving first. Giving first. Because one day when they leave the nest, I mean, how many of us want their stuff to be on the throne of their life? Or do you want God? I always remember the conversation I had with Milo Thompson years ago when we first, were, when we first planted Heritage. Milo was a he was a seminary president um, and Bible scholar, and we were having a conversation. He said, you know, Sid, one of the hardest things to do is to have the resources to help your kids and to say no. To have the resources that your kid may be in need of, but to say to them no. And, I, and in the conversation, he said, he said, it's, it's, he said I, I wrestle with that because I have the resources to help. He was specifically talking about one, but he said, he said, but I, I'm afraid that if I step in, that they'll look to me to provide and meet their needs instead of looking to God. But giving is one of the ways that we break the chains 
of greed. And you know our responsibility as parents is to be able to not only just teach that, but to model it, that everything that we have comes from God. I remember in the early days when we first started Heritage, and there would be a check that would come in, and we would sit around the table, and we would just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for providing and meeting our needs, because in that day and time, I mean, we started Heritage, and there was no, there was no assurance that there would be a paycheck. There was no assurance that there would be any resources. And we recognized early on that everything that came in was a blessing from Jesus. Blessing from him. You know, our kids talk about this. We say this an awful lot around our house. Man, that's a blessing from Jesus. We need to give him thanks. That's a blessing from the Lord. We need to give him thanks. We need to say thank you. But giving is one of the ways that breaks the chain of greed. To teach our kids to give first, to save second, and then live on what remains, whatever that amount may be. Um, you know what I've learned over, over the years as I look back? That financial responsibility and stewardship isn't something that's just an, an overnight decision. It's, it's a one-and-done deal, but it's a, it's a long-term period of habitual recognizing who's in first place and recognizing God and, and making sure that he knows he's first. I mean, you just don't wake up overnight and all of a sudden everything be changed. It doesn't happen that way. But it's, it's, the, it's the series of commitments that are made over the long haul. Let's, let's go back to the book of Matthew for a second. Go back to the book of Matthew chapter 6. So Jesus says um, in verse 24, No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he goes on to say in verse 31, just a little bit later, so don't worry. So don't worry about these things, these things. Um, and here are some of these, saying, these things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? You know, it's the things that we have a tendency to worry about every day. You know, those things, those, those things that worries or struggles. And but how many of us allow, you know, the pieces of paper that they say that have pictures of dead men to rob us of our peace? You know, the dollar bills. How often? And it's like Jesus is saying, look, this temporary stuff, don't let it distract you from your thoughts and steal your joy. Because whatever is consuming your thoughts, whatever is out front and center, is an indicator of who you're serving. I mean, we often say this, you want to know who's in first place? You want to know what is in first place in your life? All you got to do is check your calendar and check your checkbook. That's it. If you want to know who's in first place, just check your calendar and check your checkbook. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 32, these things, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, and we can add a couple more to that, what, what we're going to drive, you know. I, I, where we're going to live. I know, I know a pastor. I know a pastor, and every time he gets a new car, he likes to put it on Facebook. I told him, I said, man, stop doing that junk. It's not good. I said, you need to put a picture like my 1998 Ford pickup truck with the dent in the back. <laughs> Make us all look bad. And, uh, but I mean, you think about the things that we have a temp, the things that we worry about, the things that we have to have, you know, that they think that they're going to they're gonna fulfill the need that we have, the temporary stuff. 
And he goes on to say, these things dominate, the temporary stuff dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, the pagans, the one who don't believe. I mean, that's the things that they run after. That's what those who don't believe think about. It's what those who don't believe are distracted by, what consumes them. And when we live like a non-believer or a pagan, what we're saying with our actions is that, God, you aren't powerful enough. You aren't in control to take care of the stuff that I need. And it's easy to become consumed and distracted by all that mess and to be overwhelmed by it. And then Jesus goes on to say something here that's really important. Look at what he says. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. In other words, all the things that we have a tendency to worry about. We worry because either we think that God doesn't know our need or that God just doesn't care. I mean, think about that. I want you to write these down really fast. Will you do this? There may be two in your notes. I'm going to give you an extra one. Write these three things. These are, these are truths that, that you need to hold on to and never forget. You need to put these in a place, whether they're on your mirror, put them in your car, wherever you go. You need to always remember these three things because they'll, they'll make a difference in your life. Number one, I want you to know God knows your name. He knows your name. The Bible says that he knows even the hairs on your head. He knows your name. And he knows what's going on in your life, in my life. And I want you to know this, God cares about you. So um, yesterday morning, Caleb had went to take a test. And um, Meredith, she says, will you call him? And will you tell him, because it's like 6.30 in the morning, he's going to take one of these tests. And we, we, we felt sort of bad for him because he had to get up early. He wasn't feeling the best. And, and uh, you know, we're like, okay, let Buddy stop by. Let him stop by the store and get him something to grab. You know, go through the McDonald's drive-through or something on the way to get the test. And Meredith said, "Do you think we're gonna have to tell him that?" You know, he knows. <laughs> You're not gonna have to tell him to, you know, go by and get. He's gonna, he's gonna do it. He, and he did. I, I checked the, I, I checked the credit card after. I saw where you did went, where you went. <laughs> <clears throat> but my phone was dead. I said, "Baby, I can't. My phone's dead." And so I forgot about my phone and I plugged it in about eight thirty nine o'clock and. I mean, the thing goes crazy. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? And I start looking. I got all these messages from staff. You know, power's out, checking on the, on the walls, the freezer, the refrigerator, and, and then uh, main uh, water, water leak. And then Glenn sends this picture. He sends this crazy picture of water coming up. Rob says, after a while, Rob said, y'all just trying to come up with a new, you know, a little, a little water, water thing there. And I'm thinking, oh my word. So I, I, down, in the, down in the, in the, in the, um, in the messages, I see where we finally called Bart. And I wouldn't add him, but I bet they're probably think that joker's ignoring us. He doesn't have my phone on. So they called Bart and I, Bart was, he's on the way there. So I met Bart here and, and Bart turns off the water. We're thinking, we're sitting having the conversation, man, what in the world are we going to do tomorrow? We can't have church. We're not having any water around here. How's somebody going to go to the bathroom? That's not going to happen. we got kids in the background. So we're thinking, there's no way we're going to get this mess fixed. No way we're going to get this mess fixed. So Bart and I come up with this plan. So we're just going to put some cones around it. And about 9 o'clock in the morning, we're going to turn the water back on, have our little water show over here. And uh, we're just, just at least we'll have some water because don't you know that we have one 
one valve that controls everything. It's not like everything's on zones around here. You know, we can cut this off and cut. No, we got one that controls everything. So we just come up with this plan. And in the meantime, I thought, let me just call Rob Sullivan. You know, maybe Rob's got, maybe he's got, at least, at least find out if there's another, if there's some other way that we're not thinking about. Rob said, you know, out of all the things, all the things that Rob does, all the places that Rob goes, he says, uh, sit, hold on one second. Let me call you right back. And he calls me and we talk back and he says, listen, I got a plumber coming down. I'll meet you there at 11.15. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. And then I thought to myself, there's no way. I mean, how in the world are we going to find a leak over here on the side of the building and dig up all this concrete on a Saturday? That's ridiculous. I'm going to tell you what, you talk about God knowing our needs and him caring. <laughs> the funny thing, I pull up, man, Rob's got a jackhammer, he's ready to go, and you got the guy over here. I'm thinking, oh my word. And then I, I go downstairs to go get some cones and I hear boom, boom. And it was him beating on the concrete out there. And I come around, and they dug into the ground. And I want you to know, within a foot of where we were, they found that hole in that pipe. Now, I got the pipe over there. I've never seen anything. Caleb, bring me that pipe for a second. I have no earthly idea in my life. Now, it's not like there's a hole in that pipe, in that joint. It blew out from the inside. The only thing I can think of is we must have had a lightning strike the other day, and it must have hit these pipes and come out through this. There's no other way that could have happened. I have no earthly idea. No earthly idea. We knew that we had a water leak a while back, but we couldn't find it. It happened. Poor, um, poor Wayne went looking all over the place trying to find the water leak, and then we, then we thought, well, maybe it was just a, uh, a toilet that had gotten stuck because it stopped. But yesterday, in an hour's time, which I was thinking was going to take us several days and thousands and thousands and thousands, I hadn't charged us that yet. I don't guess we're going to have to pay that. <laughs> the crazy thing is fixed, and Rob and I go have lunch yesterday. And you tell me God doesn't know our needs? And you tell me God doesn't care? Man, you better check yourself. You know, once we settle the issue of the fact that God cares. It's only then, it's only then that some of the doubts that have a way of surfacing, um, that can often linger, you know what I'm saying, can be dispelled. When we believe that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he'll do, and we believe that God not only knows us, that he, that he, knows, that he knows the numbers of hairs on our head, he knows our name, that he cares about us, he, he, he wants to bless us, and that it's only at that point in time when we really begin to hold on to those truths that, um, that things begin to change. God knows. God cared. When, when we had COVID, you know, I think everybody thought I was dying. I just thought to myself, Jesus, if I die, I'm ready. It's okay. And then I had that night, you know, they kept telling me, Sid, if your oxygen level gets below 90, you need to go to the hospital immediately. I woke up and my oxygen levels were 88, 88. And I wasn't feeling good. And I was starting to have a, you know, a little bit hard time breathing. And I, I thought to myself, well, you know, Bertha, if it's time, it's time. Come get me. And I remember sitting on the side of the bed. And I'm trying to breathe. And I thought to myself, if I can just go to sleep. But then I thought, well, if I go to sleep, I may not wake up. 
And I said as clear as a bell, just like I'm talking to you, Jesus, I ain't got time for this foolishness. You got to get this junk off of me. And I laid down and I went to sleep. When I woke up the next morning, my oxygen level was back up to 95, 96. Now you can say, oh, that's just a coincidence. No, God knows and God cares. Now, God knows and God cares regardless. If I'd have passed away, God still knows me and he still cares. But I have to settle that in my, in my mind. And he goes on to say there in verse 6, uh, chapter 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else. In other words, look, I know that there's going to be distractions. I know that it's going to be easy for me to be preoccupied that stuff um, that, that many times only brings temporary satisfaction. Do you know if you buy a new truck today that the smell is going to wear off after a while, but the payment's still going to be there? Are you with me? Caleb asked me last year, I was looking at the truck. He said, Dad, you're not going to buy it? I said, no. He said, why? I said, because I don't want to pay that bill. I don't want to pay that bill. I can drive. Bertha's just going to keep going until she stops. Now, she don't sound too good right now, but, but she's still going. But those things that we think will bring us this lasting satisfaction only are temporary. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His will and His purpose. This should be first on our list of priorities. And it says, and live righteously. In other words, right living or, or righteous living. And then He goes on to say, and He will give you everything. In other words, seeking first, Put him first, live righteously, do what's right, and he will give you everything. Everything I want, mm -mm. somebody says, everything I need, everything that we need, he'll bless us with it. And that's a promise. That's a promise. Especially when we put him first. That's why it's important to give first. God, why? Because God, I want to recognize, I want to, I want to give you the first fruits because I recognize that everything I have comes from you. I want to save second because there's going to be a time when a pandemic does come or I may lose my job or there may be an extra bill and then I'm going to take and I'm going to live on the rest. I'm going to live in such a way that I and I'm, there's a sense of contentment in me. I don't always have to watch and have the next best thing that comes out. But there's going to be a sense of contentment, not because of what I have, but because of whose I am. But how many times does this seeking after part only happen when the bottom falls out? When I don't have any other place to turn. Mm. And it's only at that time am I, am I willing to say, okay, maybe God, I want to apply your principles as it concerns the finances. And maybe... God, I want to try to make the adjustments then. But you know what, what happens when we, when, we, when we read what God's Word has to say and we begin to reprioritize our lives and surrender to Him and recognize where everything, everything that we have comes from. It's only at that moment in time that things begin to change and we find ourselves not just having to give but wanting to give. Wanting to save, recognizing that we need to be good stewards in case. And then also living off what's left. You know, the spending sprees, the drive to consume, those things have a way of, of wavering. You know, the way that our attitudes towards money, the way we think about it, the stuff, it begins to change, especially when we begin to put God first. We recognize 
him. Uh, you might say, well, Sid, you know, that's, that's really great, okay? You know, it's really good. You, you read these passages of Scripture. You talk to us about giving, saving, and living, but you have nothing about, you know nothing about my life. You, you know nothing about how far and deep down in debt that we are. And let me just say, you didn't get there overnight, and you're not going to get out of there overnight. It's not going to happen that way. I hear what you're saying, but see, Sid, you don't understand that I'm in the midst of a tunnel and I do not see a light. All I see is darkness. But let me just say this right here. I hear what you're saying, but every step towards the light begins with a step. A step. Recognizing, acknowledging, and then beginning to take some steps in the right direction. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. The, the, the darkness and despair of, of financial issues can be overwhelming. I've had multiple conversations with people. Multiple conversations. And teenagers, let me say this right here. If you get started off on the wrong foot, it's hard to correct it. It's best you start now. Don't you dare put yourself in debt. Don't you dare have to have all this other kind of stuff. Listen, I, there's a lot of stuff I can tell you, but the one thing I can say is you better watch. Parent, and you wonder why this issue is such a big deal with families because guess what's going to happen, families? Guess what's going to happen, parents, if we don't teach this to our children, if we don't model this to our children, guess what's going to happen in their lives? And how many of us have children that struggle with finances? Man, it's pressure. How many parents feel the pressure to pay the bills of their children because their children are living in that, up in, in that, in that type of a situation? But when we trust God, it becomes an invitation for our hearts to be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit, not just, to, not just to trust God and our lives be changed, but our financial situations to be changed as well. R write this down someplace. Good things happen when we order our lives around God's principles. Good things happen when we order our lives around God's principles. And I'm going to say it again. God doesn't need your money, people. What he wants is your heart. But he knows that there's a connection between your heart and your wallet. See, and this isn't so much about our money, is it? It's really the fact that God wants our undivided attention. He wants to be first in our life. First and foremost. And it says when we put God's kingdom first, what we do is we begin to establish a pattern of giving, saving, and living. And when we do that, it's amazing how much easier, how much easier life has to go. And all that struggle that we have, you know, when, when, the, when the focus is on the finances, all that struggle, it has a way of dissipating and just subsiding. Generosity protects the heart from greed. And you ask me, what's at stake? What's at stake? When you think about our families, what are we passing down? When we think about our children and the legacy that we're leaving in reference to finances and stewardship, what is it we're leaving behind? Are we setting our kids up for success or are we setting them up for failure? Are we, are we laying a foundation that leads to freedom or are we laying a foundation that leads to bondage? 
I want to pray with you guys today. I want to pray with us. And then after I pray, I want to show you a, uh, I want you to watch just a, a few minutes of a video of some partners that we have that are ministering in Nicaragua. But before we watch that video, can I just pray for us today? Thank you. Father, we, we come to you today as, as, uh, as at this time because I know that what we've talked about falls on in different places for different people. What I'm asking is, Lord, that you give us wisdom to, do, to know what to do with what we have heard. And, and, and Lord, this is what I know. For some, this has maybe stirred up some controversy. Maybe it's, uh, it's, there's some wounds that have been exposed and that's not been the desire today. But Father, what the desire is, is to see what your word has to say and how we can live to reprioritize our lives in such a way that we recognize that you are the one from where everything comes. And that God, that if we, if we desire to say that you're first, Lord, we must bless you first. We must give to you first. We must give of the first fruits. God, I... What I want is I want you to have our undivided attention. That's what I want. For you to be large and in charge in our lives. But I know that in the lives of some, there would be financial pain and struggle. And that's just how it goes sometimes. But you have the ability to use that to grab our attention. Lord, give us the insight today to know what to do with what we've heard and the courage to be able to do it. Help us to understand, Lord, that we can trust you with everything. And when we give first, Lord, it's a demonstration of faith. Lord, as a church, God, I want us to live in such a way that we are extraordinary stewards of the resources that you bless us with. That we have the ability of partnering with people in the field like Rick and Mary and Chandra and all the others. Father, I thank you for the blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch this little video clip and then we'll close out afterwards. young child, if I was at my grandparents and you wanted to find me, I'd always be in the doghouse, curled up with the dogs, taking my afternoon nap. Uh, I had a great attachment to almost any animals. I'm now a veterinarian in uh, Nicaragua. My wife Mary's here along with me. She's a nurse. We came with the idea that we weren't going to leave under any circumstances. Mary had been a nurse for 30 years. I had practiced veterinary medicine for over 30 years. As far as what I think and what Mary thinks, this is what we were made to do. Thing. We probably need to uh, check some for pregnancy. And even before we came to Nicaragua, uh, we took a course 
with uh, a group of veterinarians from CVM online that really spoke to our heart and that we wanted things that we were going to do to be sustainable and to be sustainable without us. In the beginning of our lay veterinarian training, we had 12 to 14 people that came in anywhere from a week to two weeks at a time. With these lay veterinarians, they were someone from the community, they were someone with ties in the community, and they were someone that once they got the education, weren't going to leave the community to go try to make more money somewhere else. They were always going to be rooted in that community. So that was going to give us our best long-term change and make a difference within the community that was always going to be there. Al doctor Rick yo lo conocí en el rancho Ebenezer cuando estaba graduándome de veterinario. Hay personas pobres que no tienen dinero para buscar a alguien que quizás les haga un trabajo en sus animales. Y en mi caso yo siento ese propósito de ayudar a las personas que tienen necesidad. I've known Daniel for more than 12 years. The people around look to him for anything in the veterinary end. I've always wanted to find people that I could get trained and have enough confidence that the people in their community would have confidence in. Las personas de esta comunidad valoran el trabajo veterinario que aquí se hace. Me siento más feliz porque sé que cuando uno ha sido entrenado tiene que dar lo que uno sabe también a las personas. I think we make a mistake in missions, if our mission is really to give empowerment to nationals. It has to be homegrown, you know, and home-owned programming. And they have a bigger stake. Their families live there. So they have a bigger stake in that, in what they're doing too. The first time Mary and I went to the rehab center, we walked in because the roads were so muddy we couldn't drive in. Uh, when we came in, they were having a worship service. And it's one of those services that you go into and you go, boy, the Holy Spirit's got a hold of this place. So on those early visits, one of the biggest things we noticed was that their nutrition was low. They have a pretty good amount of land. It grows almost anything. If you stick a stick in the ground, it'll root. I just thought that why do we rely totally on donations of food when we can start also producing our own? Uh, at the rehabilitation center, we're merging the veterinary medicine and animal husbandry into producing food to feed the people in the rehab center. We're also teaching veterinary medicine, animal husbandry, and farming practices to people in the center. The people with 
addictions that touch my heart the most are probably the broken ones that are, you see him on the street. He has no family. Uh, nobody wants to go walk on that side of the street with him. It's just that realization that there have been times in my life that I could have gone that same, that same route. En mi caso, el alcohol más que todo para mí ha sido todo en la vida. Me he entregado de, eh, de tiempo completo a él. Eh, bueno, a través de mi alcoholismo y la drogadicción llegué a perder a mi familia, me tiraron a la calle. Desde hace 10 años hasta la fecha donde estoy, pues de que no he podido regresar a mi hogar o donde mi mamá. Eh, una de las maneras las cuales hace difícil las cosas del alcohol es la irresponsabilidad dentro del hogar primeramente, la irresponsabilidad en el trabajo y la pérdida de valores como humano, como persona. Harrington has been in and out. I hope each time he comes back, it's the last time. But when he comes back, whether he's drunk that day or he's sober that day, I still want to be able to put my arms around him, tell him, you know, we love you. Have you come to stay or you just come to tell us how great you're doing? En todo lugar o en toda actividad que hacemos siempre mencionamos a Dios, porque antes no tenía ninguna relación con Dios. Y la paz más importante que tengo es saber de que estoy comenzando a volver a tener todo, y en especial el amor de mi madre, de mi familia que lo había perdido. I would say 50% of the guys that we have go out go back to situations where they have no one to really count on. I have people tell me all the time, I can stay sober, I can stay clean, will you let me just stay here in the rehab? In that sense, I think we're still failing. I would love us to eventually be doing more vocational training, to train two or three guys to go back and do kind of a transition thing with him, with his family talk to the family, talk to the local church. I know a lot of people in my home community back in the States think that you gotta be crazy. Why would you want to give up the life you've got in the United States? I think you only suffer if your heart and your love's not in it. You know, I think love is the biggest commandment we've had. I think if you have love, then everything else seems to take care of itself. I am privileged to be part of a church family that not only invests time and resources and tries to be good stewards here within our community, but also abroad. It's a privilege to partner with people like Rick and Mary on the mission field, and you know this. This past year and a half, really, for the past three years or so, it's been really tough in places like Haiti and in Nicaragua where we have partnerships and we're doing work because we've not been able to send teams, not only before the pandemic, it was the violence and the issues that were taking place, 
but I look forward to the time when we're able to go back and begin to take teams because a lot of the people that you saw in this video are people that have become our friends over the years, people that we've walked with, that we've talked with, that we've prayed with and walked alongside. You know, we talk about the stewardship of our financial resources, but the greatest thing about Rick and Mary, you know, you talk about stewardship of them, they've given their life. They've given their life. You want to talk about putting God first. They sold everything back in the States. And in Nicaragua, there's place that when that time comes, that's where they'll both be buried. You talk about a commitment to Jesus. Thank you for your stewardship. Thank you for, for your generosity, for the privilege we have as a church body of being involved in missions and impacting the lives of people, not just here, but all over the world. This is what I want you to do. I want you to absorb what we've talked about today. Um, and I want you to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do with it now? What is it? Where do I go from here? What, it, what next step do I need to take to make sure that I put you at the center and the forefront of everything? You just talk to Jesus and ask him. Again, remember, God doesn't need your money. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But what he wants is our hearts. And that's what I want for us as a church family. I want, us, I want us to be able to be that representative, to be that light to this community. So not that they'll become religious people, but they'll become Jesus people. And our lives will be different. I bless you as you go. Will you go be the hands and feet of Jesus? Will you go serve this community, live for Jesus as we make a difference? In Jesus' name, amen.